This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we dig deep into the depths of Metro Cluster with Niels Recker and Nabil Ferris, who attempt to demystify it. We also discuss the brand new goodness in ONTAP 9.3. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I am all by myself today. Um, I'm going to talk about some Metro Cluster though. Uh, We have not had a Metro Cluster show in a while. It is time to do a refresher course. And to do that, I brought in a couple experts. I'm sitting here with Niels Recker and uh, Nabil Ferris, and we're going to talk about some Metro Cluster. But before we do that, uh, I want to introduce the two. So, Niels, if you could uh, introduce yourself, tell us what you do here at NetApp, and if we can reach you via social media or email. Yeah, sure, Justin. Um, yeah, uh, my name is Niels. Um, I'm a solution architect uh, based in EMEA, Germany. Um, I'm with NetApp for a pretty long time now. I think it's my 13th year. Uh, my focus is Metro Cluster. Interesting. You're in Germany and you focus on Metro Cluster. I would never have pegged that. Yeah, well, it's uh, Metro Cluster is kind of in our DNA. Um, yes. So, uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you guys, you guys are big on the Metro Cluster. And we'll talk a little bit more about who else uses it as well. But um, before we do that, uh, uh, Niels, do you have any way to reach you on social media or email? Uh, well, sure. You can uh, reach out by email. Um, that's n-i-e-l-s at netapp.com. So uh, feel free if you have questions about Metro Cluster. I may be able to answer those. All right. And uh, also on the phone with us is Nabil Ferris. Uh, hi, Nabil. Hello, Justin. Hello, Neil. So, uh, Nabil, tell everybody here what you do at NetApp and uh, if they can reach you on social media or email. Absolutely, yes. So uh, my name is Nabil Ferris. I am the technical marketing engineer for Metro Cluster. Um, and I've been with NetApp for 11 years. I've uh, covered multiple areas, but my focus right now is Metro Cluster. Uh, you can reach me at Twitter. Uh, my handle is nferris, N-F-A-R-E-S. Or my email address, Nabil, N-A-B-I-L, at NetApp.com. Interesting. So you both have been here a little bit longer than I have. That's not common. <laughs> I don't usually get that. Um, I've been here around 10 or 11 years. But Nabil, Nabil and I, I guess, came in around the same time, and Niels is just a, an old veteran here. Yeah, Niels is old, so there. Well, I mean, I didn't want to yeah, go that sure, far. Yeah. I didn't want to go that far, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, before yeah, yeah. we dive into the, the depths that is Metro Cluster, let's talk about it at a high level for people who are not familiar with what Metro Cluster is. Uh, so, Nabil, if you could give us the 10,000-foot view of Metro Cluster for people who are not familiar with it. Yeah, absolutely. In a nutshell, um, Metro Cluster is positioned to provide synchronous replication between two locations uh, with the zero RTO and uh, near-zero RTO. Uh, our goal is to provide data protection at the block level uh, uh, up to 300 kilometers. Uh, that's in a nutshell. Uh, a very simplified approach. You set it once, and basically you forget about it. Okay, so it's a replication technology, but 
what is the use case for it? Like, why do people want to use Metro Cluster? So Metro Cluster is uh, used for mission-critical uh, environments, uh, be it application uh, or applications, um, regardless of applications uh, uh, or databases. Um, if you have a mission-critical uh, environment and you cannot tolerate any uh, data loss, we basically positioned uh, to protect uh, every write that you uh, send to us. Uh, basically, every write that comes from a host is synchronously replicated to the remote location. Uh, we don't send in a, a, an acknowledgement before we actually write it to the remote location. So it's positioned for um, hospitals, financial institutions, universities. Uh, the case studies are just wide open. Okay. And, and Niels, you you're, have a familiar, uh, a unique view of Metro Cluster because you're in EMEA. Um, and that's really where I think the gist of the Metro Cluster adoption has taken place. And it's starting to spread a little more. Um, but why is it that EMEA is so into Metro Cluster, whereas the rest of the world is not as quick to adapt it? Um, well, I, I think that may have to do with stereotypes. Um, so, um, I mean, as you said, Germany is, is uh, predominant in the whole Metro Cluster adoption. And uh, it may just be related to the fact that um, in, in Germany, everybody wants to ensure everything. Um, and um, you, you actually can't really get into a customer if you don't have a synchronous replication solution. This is just a well, well-expected feature of any storage vendor out there. And um, that's why um, you know, the synchronous replication is, is kind of a must in almost every environment. So as Nabil already pointed out, it's um, some verticals that specifically require synchronous replication, um, but it's, um, I think, throughout the whole marketplace. It's from small customers to large customers. It's for mission-critical environments as well as not-so-mission-critical environments. Um, because what I learned is it's, it's, it's great if customers know what their data outage uh, value is so so what did it cost them if they are offline or lose any data um, so that you can actually go with the right system but in most cases it's more the fact that customers actually don't really know what costs uh, what it costs when they are offline or, or lose data and in that cases um, synchronous replication helps even more because you can protect yourself um, or your company um, from any, any, any big issues that, that you might face because of an offline um, system. And, um, yeah, it's, it's similar around Germany, so the, the rest of EMEA as well. Um, and I hope that the adoption of Metro Cluster would spread a, a, across the world. Um, usually uh, the reluctance that we have seen, uh, especially in the U.S. market, is usually based around the distance. You know, you know, Nabil said we support synchronous replication up to 300 kilometers. Um, that's usually not enough in the States to actually go between data centers to protect against earthquakes or hurricanes or, you know, severe floodings, what, what, whatever we had in, in the recent past. Um, because in, in EMEA, we usually don't face these issues, but Metro Cluster is not only about that distance 
You know, it's um, the many customers that we have deploy Metro Cluster even within a single data center, um, just across two data center rooms so that they are, they are protected against uh, a power outage, for example. So very simple things, not necessarily natural disasters. So they want to have a synchronous copy. They want to have continuous availability. And if you want to protect against regional disasters, you can still combine it with technologies like SnapMirror, for example. I have some theories about uh, some other reasons why there might not be a large adoption el- elsewhere. Um, and we'll get into that a little later because it kind of ties into what's coming in the future. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about the technical aspect of it. So Nabil hinted at the, this mirroring of HA pairs. What are we actually mirroring here? Any right uh, that comes in from the front end, be it a, you know, if, if uh, we're doing any type of storage connectivity, front end storage connectivity, whether it be in a, a, a fiber channel or iSCSI or SIFS, uh, we're actually replicating at the block level. Uh, so any write that comes in into ONTAP, we are taking that, the, the write comes into NVRAM. That NVRAM write is uh, replicated across uh, to the remote location. Once that block is replicated to the remote location, we are waiting for a, an acknowledgement that the remote system received it and uh, you know it's it's good so once we receive that block uh, that's all all happening in the nvram space right now because we want to make sure we don't miss uh, any any right uh, one or we're not inducing any delay waiting on the disk rights so on the nvram level we are doing real-time replication once we go through a point check uh, on the NVRAM where we flush the NVRAM to the disk, then we can do a synchronous application on the disk level. So we we're definitely doing it on the block level, and we're doing it for every ride that comes into the system, to the ONTAP system. Okay, so this is a synchronous NVRAM replication across sites at distance. Um, and this is used for HA failover. So if I had a two-node cluster in one site and a two-node cluster in another site, and let's say site A goes down because of power outage or because of hurricane or whatever, uh, we could fail over to site B and not lose any access is essentially the way I'm hearing this, right? Yes, we maintain the identity for the front end, be it an IP identity identity or fiber channel identity. So uh, during a failover or a switchover, uh, if you will, uh, we're using the Metro Cluster terminology. So in a switchover situation to the remote location, we maintain the same identity. So if the application being on the existing uh, site, assuming, let's just assume not the whole site failed, just a, a rack where uh, on tap is located our clusters, let's just assume that power failed there, um, but the application still exists, they, they, um, they basically switch uh, they continue to talk to the same IP addresses or the same WWPNs. Um, if the application fails over to the remote location, um, assuming the application uh, is still talking to the same target, there's no changes on the application, we maintain the same uh, identity regardless where we're at. So that's the beauty of it. Okay, and you mentioned 300 kilometers. Is there a technical reason why we do 300 kilometers? Is it something we just arbitrarily picked, or is it something that that matters? It's a combination both of uh, uh, on-tap behavior and application behavior. Uh, the sweet spot 
uh, is about five milliseconds uh, for a, an acknowledgement to come back before an application begins to misbehave or panic. Um, so the five millisecond, it's a combination of both the distance. We calculate about one millisecond round trip per 100 kilometer, and we add uh, one millisecond per site as a... Uh, as a buffer, if you will, as a as a, a uh, an umbrella uh, to protect against any uh, uh, jitter on the ISLs. Uh, so we 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 um, we use those five milliseconds um, as a, a state net for applications to continue uh, behaving very well uh, in a in a uh, during a replication time or a failover time. So it's it's based on uh, extensive testing and not definitely not an arbitrary number. So Niels, um, with the new 32 gig uh, fiber channel support that we have, and you know eventually we'll go higher than that. Um, does that add any sort of benefits to a metro cluster in terms of extending that distance, or is it still going to be 300 kilometers? Well, the the speed or the bandwidth doesn't actually change anything in, in the distance. Uh, what it definitely gives us is more throughput to the other side. So given that controllers get bigger with more CPU, more RAM, and every controller being even more capable of driving more workloads with every generation, it's just uh, necessary that a network also keeps up in increasing bandwidth. So the new 30 gig switches... Um, just offer us uh, bigger pipes to go to the other side. So given that we can uh, have a single link of up to 32 gigabyte, uh, gigabit, so uh, especially for the high-end controllers, uh, those will benefit in, in throughput. Um, the 300 kilometers don't uh, really change. Um, so that's, that's uh, the, the same limitation. Although I have to contradict Nabil a little bit, it's, it's not a real hard limit in, in, in a case. So 300 kilometers is essentially what we have tested, what we have set up in our app. We had occasional PBRs, for example, where customers asked for uh, up to 400 or even more than 400 kilometers. And technically, a metro cluster can run longer distances but it's really, as Nabil pointed out, about the application behavior above that. Because with, with every distance, you naturally add latency to each and every write. So um, the, the, the longer you go, the longer your write takes. And at one point in time, your application will just suffer. Okay, that makes sense. All right, so I was just hoping we could extend that distance just by adding more uh, power, but I guess not. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Good to know. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the infrastructure then. So, you know, primarily Metro Cluster has traditionally been fiber channel backed. Um, what goes into a Metro Cluster infrastructure and, you know, what sort of cost is associated with that? To, to actually build a fabric Metro Cluster, uh, we require four uh, fiber channel switches, so two at each side. So we build redundant fabrics, which is a regular best practice for fiber channel infrastructure. Um, so other than in a regular AJ pair where the disk shelves are connected directly to the controllers, we now connect the shelves to uh, the fabric. Now that we use SaaS shelves, we cannot directly connect them to the fabric. We need some additional component, which is a fiber to SaaS bridge. 
So uh, for each and every SaaS stack that you want to attach to your systems, you require a pair of bridges um, in addition to the switches um, to actually build that uh, fabric metro cluster. And with that, each controller is able to reach each and every disk at the local and the remote site and to perform reads and writes. Are we traditionally filling up these shelves, I mean, or these switches rather? Are we, are we using all the ports or do we have ports that are left over? Well, it depends on how many ports the switch actually have. I mean, we support different models from Brocade to Cisco. It's let's, let's pick the, the um, 6505 switch, for example, which is a 24-port switch. So you could um, actually, uh, for a minimum configuration in a four-node metro cluster, um, you don't need more than 10 or 12 ports. Um, but if you scale out, for example, because you can actually build eight-node metro clusters if you have bigger workloads that you want to distribute across more nodes, um, you obviously need more ports as you need to connect more controllers and more disk shelves to that fabric. So uh, with the 6505 switch, for example, you could leverage all 24 ports, or um, you could extend to a, a higher model, the 6510, which offers up to 48 ports. So you're basically scaling your, your metro cluster with the number of available ports on the switch. And having that dual fabric, that allows me to uh, increase my scale uh, not disruptively if I need to, right? I could actually not take too much of an outage because I have the metro cluster technology in place as well as the, the dual fabric? Well, the dual fabric is, has uh, not necessarily anything to do with uh, expansion because uh, with expansion, you are just adding components it up. You're not removing anything. So um, that's relatively straightforward. What the dual fabric gives us is the, the redundancy in case of component failure or link failure uh, to the other side. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Nabil, if I wanted to repurpose some of these ports on these switches with my Metro cluster, is that allowed? Uh, no, definitely not. And like, just to be clear, there is no technical reasons why we we have a lot of customers partners um, even us internally when i used to work with NetApp IT, we always questioned why we couldn't do it and it's never been a technical reason um uh, the reasons always is administrative and support uh, this is a uh, an extremely critical infrastructure and uh, we want to make sure those are dedicated resources and they're not uh, inadvertently used for any uh, front-end NetApp. Let's just say somebody says, hey, why can't I use them for a front-end connectivity uh, as well? So we, we, we discourage the use uh, of these switches for any other purpose. We want to make sure uh, during support, somebody doesn't inadvertently you know, uh, apply the wrong configuration, take down whole, a whole system, just so they can satisfy a couple of ports for other uh, uh, utilization in the data center. Uh, so it's definitely administrative and support uh, why we require dedicated infrastructure. Uh, Neil, please feel free to add on, but uh, that's basically the position that uh, I understand and we follow. Neil, did you have anything to add to that? As Nabil said, we have the special configuration that, that we put on those switches. And in the end, um, the, the idea is 
to to have a a one-stop shop for for problems so um the the switch should be sold by us um and we should hold the support contract so that in case a customer calls into the support center everything's covered we have the right support contract in in place um and uh, all the configuration is correctly documented okay so let me think about this a little bit. So we've got some dedicated switches for uh, fiber channel. Uh, we have two of those, I guess, on each side for dual fabric. Uh, we got a bunch of SFPs. We got an Addo bridge in there. Um, dedicated fabric for our de- dedicated fiber channel network in general. Uh, that starts to get expensive. Um, so what are we doing to address that? And, and that really it comes back to my earlier, um, like we were talking about why people aren't adopting it as quickly. My theory is more that it's cost, right? It's, it's very expensive to get this, and you, you're only willing to pay for what you think is going to deliver on return of investment. And if you don't know the cost of losing access, how can you justify spending so much money? Some, you know, some people can do that because they, they value that peace of mind more than anything. But you know, how are we addressing this cost overall for the metric cluster solution? Are you referring to, let's say, current or future ideas? I am speaking of what is available in ONTAP 9.3. I set you up a softball, Niels. Now, now knock it out of the park. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, um, yeah, as you said, it, it, it requires quite some infrastructure to actually cable it and build it. And that's why Metro Cluster is generally perceived as being complex. But to be honest, once it's cabled, it's 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 relatively simple, and um, so even though we have a, the fabric metro cluster today, don't be scared. It's rock solid. It does work. Nonetheless, uh, we are addressing this um, perceived com, uh, complexity, and with uh, ONTEP 9.3, we introduce a new architecture, and we call it uh, metro cluster IP. So we are basically replacing the fabric, uh, the, the fiber channel fabric infrastructure that we have currently in the back end with an IP infrastructure. And we are not just only replacing, we are actually reusing. So which means um, the cluster network that we usually have to, um, well, enable the communication between the nodes within a site we are actively using in a metro cluster configuration. So we hook up uh, an additional link to that switch, connect ISLs to the remote side, and we can drive the metro cluster functionality on that existing um, infrastructure without the need to invest in fiber channel infrastructure like the switches and the auto bridges. And I mean, I would argue that that does reduce complexity. I mean, you, you say that it's not difficult to set up a metro cluster, and I don't disagree with that, but it is another set of infrastructure pieces that you have to manage. Um, you have to log into a separate set of switches and manage that. Um, you have to manage the, the individual hardware pieces if something fails. So if you have an existing Ethernet network that you're already managing, it, and, you know, including the cluster network itself, um, it makes sense to be able to kind of piggyback on that and use it for something like Metro Cluster, doesn't it? Well, kind of. Um, I mean, that, that's our vision in the long run, so that we can actually hook up the IP components of the new Metro Cluster architecture to the customer network, uh, something which we uh, unfortunately don't support out of the gate with 9.3. So it's still a, uh, a, 
an island, I, I would say, in regards to, to network. And we also require dedicated links between the sites, uh, the same as we did with the fiber channel infrastructure. Um, so in, in that regard, it's, it's kind of similar. Um, but I do agree, you definitely have less components to interact with, um, especially in a failure scenario. And on a daily basis, you don't really um, need to care about the fiber channel switches and the other bridges or in case of MCCIP with the network switches, but it's of course during failures where you actually have to dig deep and try to figure out where the failure is. Okay. So Nabil, this is of course a limited release for MetroCluster over IP. Um, what are some of the limitations that we're dealing with and you know, what sort of um, considerations do we need to make for ONTAP 9.3 with, with MCCIP? So we have a couple of um, initial restrictions with the initial release. Uh, one, we are limiting the distance to 100 kilometers uh, slash one millisecond. Um, and that satisfies a, a huge uh, number of customers, for sure, and partners. Um, so we're limiting uh, the distance uh, right away. And now that doesn't mean we're not, you know, having uh, feature parity with fiber channels. So we are targeting the 300 kilometer. But again, as you mentioned, initial release. Um, uh, the other uh, control feature is uh, dedicated ISLs. So we are asking for dedicated ISLs as well. Uh, our goal is to uh, utilize a shared infrastructure. Um, but currently, the initial release is dedicated ISLs. And finally, uh, the hardware. Uh, so the uh, the uh, Supported hardware for MCCIP is uh, the FAST 9000 and also the um, AFF 700s. Uh, these are the controlled uh, areas with the initial release in 9.3. Okay. And you did a, a session at Insight uh, for MetroCluster. What was the, the interest level for MetroCluster over IP there? Honestly, uh, it was overwhelming. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I was a little disappointed that I didn't. I did not um, have a full session just dedicated for MCCIP. Uh, one session I had was a split up about 50-50 uh, between the MCC Fiber Channel and the introduction of MCCIP. And uh, I left uh, inside a little disappointed in myself not having a full session. Uh, so uh, for those listening, uh, I apologize to you guys next year. and. Uh, uh, sooner than later, we'll uh, introduce a lot of uh, uh, material to help you guys out. But uh, the the uh, the uh, the response was overwhelming. There was a lot of excitement about it. Uh, I had a lot of side uh, conversation with a lot of uh, customers, existing customers, um, interested customers, and partners with MCCIP. There's a huge uh, interest in it. So we talked about. You know how Germany likes MetroCluster and how EMEA does, and it's really has to do with culture in a way. Um, but it also has to do with cost. So, did you notice a, a high level of interest in the states in Las Vegas? Hey, absolutely, yes. Um, it, it, the cost um, is it, it's typically, uh, you know, it, in an IT shop, uh, the most expensive piece component of an IT shop is still the Don Wan. Uh, be it a dedicated things, private lines, MTLS, whatever it is, that's that's uh, still a huge chunk uh, in, in 
in an IT shop's budget. Um, so that always comes up. Uh, the fact that it's a dedicated uh, uh, infrastructure always comes up. And the distance, the distance always comes up. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's a, uh, it's kind of a, uh, a, a, a formula where it puts you in that position. And it's expensive. Anytime you add distance, you know, those links become more expensive. Um, and the, uh, the current requirements for 5 milliseconds, 300 kilometers comes into question a lot. Um, for me, I feel like it's, it's really a, uh, like you said, it's a cultural thing in Europe, in Germany, but it's also a cultural thing here in North America for us. Uh, our our uh, uh, go-to approach has always been we want a, a DR uh, side, we want a business continuity plan, and we always reach to the farthest side away. So if we have a location on the East Coast, we want to have a ADR location uh, on the West Coast. Uh, that's our culture in North America, um, in the U.S. in particular. And we're hoping that, you know, with, with the open discussions, a little bit more understanding of the environment, that uh, we, can, we can help our customers and partners start leveraging Metro Cluster in a closer um, availability zone, if you will. Um, I know this term is used a lot right now with the hyperscalers. But it also applies to uh, disaster recovery sites, business continuity plans, um, to have closer sites. They don't have to be thousands of miles away, but they can actually that a, a uh, synchronous replication with RPO of zero still applies uh, to closer locations, uh, right? Still within the states or uh, sites within two states closer to each other, uh, campuses, universities. Uh, even manufacturing, um, they can utilize Metro Cluster uh, with under the same roof, if you will. So we, we should go away from the fact that hey, because it's Metro Cluster, it has to be you know longer distances, it has to be on a large scale, or it has to protect a whole site. No, it could be application based. Um, it could be a um, a data hole based. So there's a lot of a lot of possibilities for it. Um, and we want people to come and reach out to us so we can, uh, you know, understand their requirements and, you know, work their solution together. So, Niels, um, touching on the uh, EMEA aspect again, I mean, GDPR is upon us. How does that impact MetroCluster? Um, so, interestingly, uh, when, when you bring that up, GDPR, I think you are uh, referring to the fact that data might not be allowed to cross borders. Um, well, in fact, it doesn't do today. That's not the way customers set up metro clusters. Um, it's not because of GDPR, uh, but because of uh, local data privacy laws, um, data centers may not cross borders anyway. So uh, GDPR is not introducing nothing new. And maybe that's um, some specialty here. I mean, the, the, the countries in Europe are generally smaller. I mean, if you take Germany, you have 800 kilometers from north to south. So you could take three metro clusters and you have um, crossed the whole country. Um, Benelux, uh, even smaller. You could spin up a metro cluster in the north and the south and you have just crossed the whole country. And I get that that's different in the states. Um, 
So uh, in, in, in your uh, area, you would definitely cross several states, but it's still the same country. Um, and that's what we don't have here in, um, in EMIR. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it was really coming from the perspective that we have here, you know, like you mentioned, the states, we don't have those regulations, so we don't really necessarily understand that. But if you're in EMEA, you already know this. So <laughs> it was more of my own curiosity. I didn't know if it was impacting it. Uh, anything else we want to cover on Metro Cluster River IP that we didn't cover? Um, we just want to say that uh, MCC IP, I mean, um, it's, it's really exciting, exciting uh, uh, a new era for Metro Cluster. Uh, it's opening a lot of doors. It's simplifying the deployment, even though I always think that Metro Cluster FC is not complex. Yes, there are a bunch of cables. Yes, the diagrams sometimes a little bit, uh, they look a little bit overwhelming. Um, uh, but with MCC IP, it definitely uh, uh, simplifies the solution even more. And the future releases with uh, shared infrastructure, um, it's it's just, uh, it gets more exciting and more exciting. And, you know, even simplifies the deployment even further. So uh, uh, stay tuned, please. Okay. Neil, did you have anything else? Well, yeah. Um, MCC IP allows us not only to make the uh, setup look simpler by less cables, um, but we are definitely uh, requiring less uh, rack space, for example, by reducing the footprint of leaving out the SAS to fiber channel bridges and uh, all that stuff. And, and it all adds up. So it's it's just some tiny costs maybe here and there with the capex cost for actually acquiring the system and then you have the operational cost um, like actually ma maintaining it the power and cooling the rec space um, and the lines in between so i hear a term that gets thrown about a little bit with metro cluster and it, it always kind of perplexes me and I, I don't know if anyone else has this problem but i'm gonna ask it anyway um split brain what does that mean and how do we address it if it happens Sure. Uh, split brain. Uh, the thing is, uh, I, there is actually one real definition, but uh, there are a lot of people who don't get that right. So what, what does split brain in, in its pure definition actually mean is um, of a cluster, and that's any cluster that's not related to metro cluster only. So if any cluster um, loses connectivity between the two entities, and then each individual part decides to take over the respective other one. So now we have um, two times um, each identity. Um, and now from an outside world, we see everything twice. And that usually causes um, yeah, some um, real damage uh, when a client is writing to a, an IP address in a network that's there twice. So... Um, the split brain is actually something that really cannot happen with a metro cluster environment. It's, it's designed to, to actually um, avoid any situation that could lead to split brain. Um, split brain is um, or, or can happen in, in cases where the system tries to be um, yeah, over-intelligent, I would say, or over-automated. Um, so in case of a metro cluster, for example, if we lose connectivity between the two sites, um, then each site will just continue to uh, work individually. Um, it will just 
be there. It's its identity. It will serve the data, so everything's fine. And once the connection is reestablished, the Metro cluster will automatically resync everything. Um, so the problem might just arise if you really lose a data center. So um, you, you really have an outage caused by um, a power loss or a natural disaster, and now your, your site is really completely failed. The other um, side of the metro cluster will still do nothing because it cannot distinguish between the failure of a link or the failure of a site. That's where you need a third um, individual, so to speak, that makes this decision um, on behalf of the metro cluster. And there's uh, various things to do that. So in the past, usually, and that's what still most of our customers do, a manual intervention. So somebody decides, yes, there is a disaster. I want to switch over my services to the surviving side, enters a single command, and everything magically transfers to the other side. Um, that obviously doesn't give you um, an RTO of near zero because um, it, it takes time until the admin is notified. He takes the decision and he uh, types in the command. So it's not actually transparent to the application. Um, that's where um, some other piece of software comes into play, which we call Tiebreaker. So uh, the Tiebreaker is nothing more than a small program located on a server in a third site that's continuously monitoring both sides of the metro cluster and which is able to distinguish the difference between loss of a link or loss of a site and which will then um, perform the switchover on behalf of an administrator. And with that, you can actually achieve an RTO close to zero so that your application can switch over transparently to the other side. And this server, is it redundant itself or is it just a standalone thing? Well, um, you can set it up uh, redundantly. I mean, it, the only thing that's required for Tiebreaker is a um, Linux server or virtual machine. So you can have it run on a bare metal server. You can virtualize it. You can make it highly available with VMware uh, HA, for example. Um, but this component is actually not critical to the rest of the Metro cluster environment. So even if the tiebreaker servers would not be available, your metro cluster would still continue to run. The only thing that would not be done is in case of a disaster, you won't have a, an automatic switchover. But other than that, metro cluster is not impacted at all by the tiebreaker not being available. I don't know. That sounds kind of critical to me. <laughs> have a disaster and then you can't switch over because tiebreaker's down. So that's something you definitely want to monitor and make sure it's up, right? I mean, it's not like you can just ignore it. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's a system as is anything in your environment, but it's not critical to operations, uh, I would call yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah, I understand that part, but it's just, yeah, I, yeah, it makes me nervous to have like this single server deciding whether or not my business is up or not. <laughs> anyway, call me, call me uh, overprotective. Um, so I think we covered most of what we wanted to cover. Is there anything that we missed that you think we want to cover here? I would definitely... Uh, would like to emphasize the fact that once a metro cluster is set up, it really is operationally simple um, because it, it, it's not managed in any other way than a regular HA pair or regular cluster. So you, you just provision your uh, storage virtual machines um, at each cluster 
Um, you just create your volumes, your exports, your LUNs, your, you name it. And Metro Cluster will just take care of everything, including the configuration being replicated to the other side. So as Nabil said earlier, um, it, it's really about once it's set up, you can forget about it. Um, you, you don't need to worry about, is my data protected? Or uh, you don't need to worry about, did I miss some step in my provisioning? Um, once you have created your volume, it's automatically located at two sites. So it's not that you miss uh, logging into the second system, creating a target volume, establishing a relationship. Everything is just taken care of. Actually, I did think of some things I wanted to ask. So there are some granularity functionality within metric clusters, such as you know being able to choose which aggregates are mirrored or unmirrored. Is that right? That's right. So can you walk us through what that does and how it works and why people would want to do it? Sure. Um, yeah, the possibility of having mirrored and unmirrored aggregate within a metro cluster configuration is basically to be able to fulfill different SLAs with your single system. Um, I mean, we see that here in, in Germany all over the place. There are the, this, this uh, small and medium customers um, where the metro cluster is their one and only primary storage system. And, um, of course, they, they have data that's more important that they want to synchronously protect and data that's not so important that's not required to be synchronously protected. And um, that's where they chose to have both a mirrored aggregate and an unmirrored aggregate. So you only have your data local to your controllers within the same Metro cluster configuration. And uh, with that, this allows us to have synchronously replicated data for your RPO and RTO zero, and um, still have a yeah this this less capacity for your less valuable data, so that you don't require it to be mirrored. Um, the advantage about Metro Cluster is that um, given given the fact that um, the disks are accessible from each and every node, even if we perform a switch over, let's say for maintenance reasons. Um, and you do some maintenance on the controllers. On the other side, as long as the link exists between the data centers, the remote side can still access that unmirrored aggregate, and you can still serve your data from your DR side um, from an unmirrored aggregate, although that data has not been mirrored over there. And um, that's some advantage that we have compared to our competition, for example. Okay, cool. So that's a nice little feature that I don't think a lot of people know about it. Um, I don't think it gets enough credit. <laughs> so it's good to know that, that we have that ability to do that and have that granularity. Um, anything else that you think uh, is kind of underappreciated or underpublicized with Metro Cluster? I'm going to take that as a no. I, I, think, I think it's, it's really the, um, the stigma that comes from um, uh, the complexity of, of installation and um, we, we want to make sure uh, you know the customers potential customers or you know uh, or partners are thinking about metro cluster to utilize it's really not complex uh, to deploy um, and once it's deployed it is truly easy to operate it's a very straightforward uh, infrastructure um, it, you know I said it Neil said it it really just works, and the beauty of it, it's a, it's a uh, 
centralized management, uh, common knowledge, any system administrator that's a storage administrator that's familiar with ONPATH is familiar with Metro Cluster. It doesn't require a huge uh, or any truly any uh, uh, learning curve here. It's straightforward. And one thing that we haven't talked about throughout, it's free. The license is free. Uh, you just enable it and it's there. Once we get the structure cable properly, you enable the license and it's done. There's really nothing else that you need to purchase. All right, Nabil, Niels, thanks so much for joining us today, uh, talking to us about Metro Cluster, both over Fiber Channel and IP, starting in ONTAP 9.3. Um, again, Nabil, if someone wanted to reach you on social media, how would they do that? Uh, N Ferris, N F A R E S, uh, that's on Twitter. And my email address is Nabil, N A B I L, at netup.com. Straightforward. All right, and Niels. Yeah, so. Um Glad to be here and uh, being able to talk about Metro Cluster. And if you have questions around Metro Cluster, just reach out to me at niels at netapp.com. Excellent. Thank you so much, guys. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tech podcast team, I'd like to thank Nabil Ferez and Niels Recker for joining us today and talking about Metro Cluster. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.